you got your Bible this morning, or if you charged it last night, turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read verses 11 through 22. I know we stand a lot, but this is in reference to reading the living and powerful Word of God. So if you have the means and you're able, I do ask you to stand one more time. You can count it on your calories, whatever you need to do. (coughs) Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. It says, therefore, remember. That's a key word right there. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and you were strangers to the covenants of promise, you had no hope, and you were without God in this world. But now, I love when you have that word but in the word of God. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for He Himself is our peace. And He has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He did this by abolishing the law of commandments that is expressed in ordinances so that He might create in Himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace, and that He might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. You're built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself is the chief cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built and you're being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You can be seated. Brian Dodge, will you lead us in a word of prayer? Amen. The Apostle Paul has just... um, summed up God's master plan of His saving work and His unifying work in Jesus Christ by teaching us that all that God is doing in His plan in saving us and redeeming us and all that He's doing when He's sanctifying us is because He's building something. He's building a new temple. 
He is building a new place for His dwelling. He wants a new house to come and live in in His Spirit. He wants a new place to, to be worshipped in and to be served in. Whenever you think about the temple of God, if you were to go back to the Old Testament, one of the things that you would learn is that the temple was the building where the, the worship of God took place. The, the, the temple was the prescribed place where the service of God was to take place. The temple was the prescribed place by God where the presence of God would dwell in the holiest of holies. And now what we see here is that all of that was a foreshadow and it was a picture, it was a reflection of what God was actually going to do in the Spirit when Christ came. And so what, what we hear the Apostle Paul attacking here is that God in all of His saving work, in all of His master planning our salvation, has been leading up to, I'm going to build a new place. I'm going to build a place to where I will be worshipped. I'm going to build a place where I will be served. I'm going to build a place where my presence can dwell, where I'm coming to live at. And here the Apostle Paul lets us know that that place is in you. And not just in you, but in all of the believers of faith. And so what I want to look at today is the building blocks of God's new temple because I believe that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to get across here whenever he gives us this section. He wants us to understand what this building consists of and who it is that is in this building. Christ predicted in John chapter 2 verse 19 through 22 that his body would become the new temple. At John chapter 2, look what it says, verse 19. Jesus answered them and said, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. And so Jesus predicted that God was going to build a new temple, a new dwelling place, a new place to be worshipped and served in the body of Jesus Christ. Another thing we see is that in Matthew chapter 12, verse 6, Jesus told the Pharisees, He said, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. In other words, I'm here. Yes, the temple has been a sacred place. Yes, it was exactly what God has prescribed for His worship, for His service, and for His dwelling. But let me tell you something. Now that I'm here, something greater than that sacred place is here. I'm here. The new temple is here. In John chapter 4, you may remember that Jesus met a Samaritan woman. And I'm not going to go into the difference between the Samaritans and the Jews right now. I pray you have a little background on that, or at least know that they didn't like each other. Jesus meets this Samaritan woman and he's showing her her need for forgiveness, her need for salvation. And one of the things that you'll remember is that she kind of um, uh, uh, twists the, the conversation a little bit. And while he's talking to her about her salvation, she says, oh yeah, by the way, um, our fathers say that it's in this temple on this mountain 
that we're supposed to worship. But the Jews say that it's in Jerusalem at that temple where you're supposed to worship. And you remember what Jesus told you? He said, the hour is coming and it is now here where neither one of these temples will you worship the Father. But instead, the Father seeks those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. And so what you see in this explanation from Jesus is that I am here to save you so that God can come and dwell in you and the true worshipers are going to worship in spirit because God will dwell in them by His Spirit and they will worship in truth because they will be led by that Spirit to worship Him truthfully. And so there again, no matter where you go, Jesus is usually talking about the fact that He understands that we, the body of Christ, are being built together, we're growing together into this new temple. Christ is the cornerstone in this day and time, and some of you know a little bit more about this than me probably, but they laid a cornerstone and every other block of this building, this foundation, had to be in alignment with that cornerstone. And in this, the building would be true square. It would go according to the way this cornerstone was laid. And so what Paul is telling us here is that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of this foundation, the one in which everything else finds its alignment from Him. And it is being built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets because everything the prophets foretold was about the Messiah and what He would do when He came. And everything that the apostles has left us in this Bible are the teachings of Jesus Christ and who He was and His saving work in us. And whenever all of those teachings and all of those prophecies are laid out in alignment with the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, we can be built on top of that. And then the more we are taught about the doctrines of Jesus Christ, the more we're taught about the prophecies of who He was and what He has done, then we are being built and we are growing together into the place where God is worshipped, into the place where God is served, and into the place where God dwells. And so, yes, you are already there. Positionally, God has already declared that you are that temple. But practically, you are still becoming that temple. And so that's the reason the Apostle Paul lays it out that way. He says, listen, you are the new temple. But at the same time, you're being joined together to grow into it. You're being built together to build this temple. And so you are positionally, but practically you are still being built. And so let's look this morning at this temple. Let me do one more scripture before we go there. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9 through uh, 16. Let me read this for you. The Apostle Paul says to the Corinthians, We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You're God's building. It is according to the grace that God has given to me. Like a skilled master builder, I laid the foundation. How did he lay the foundation? By teaching them about Jesus Christ, right? And his saving work in their life. And someone else is building on it. That's what I'm doing this morning. The foundation is already laid. All I'm doing is taking the foundation, the apostles and the prophets, and all I'm doing is now is I'm teaching you that so that you can be built on this foundation. Let each one take care 
how he builds on it. This is a warning to all of us, but especially to me and Nick and to anyone that becomes a teacher. Let each one take care how he builds on it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on this foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are, the, that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Ain't it funny how often we take these verses so far out of context and we make this to mean that if you chew tobacco or if you smoke a cigarette or if you overeat or if you... Come on. Ain't that the, ain't that the normal way that we take this scripture? Now, can it apply in that extent to some degree? You can find an application that can apply to those things. But in the context here, what he's trying to tell you is that we need to take care how we build on one another, the things that we teach each other, the ways that we relate to one another in long-suffering and humility and kindness and forgiveness and to make sure that we're building with lasting material. Because if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. And so one of the things we need to figure out in this is this, if Paul and even Jesus himself says, you are that temple, who's the you? Is it everybody? Is everybody this temple? So who's included in this? Who is the you? Well, in light of that, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, and let's look at the building blocks of God's new temple. Ephesians 2, verse 11 begins with one word that says, therefore. It's a connecting word. This is a word that lets you know that in light of everything that I have already said, then now I say this. And so in other words, he's saying, let me just skip going back and reading all of it. He says, in light of the fact that you were dead men, and what can dead men do? Did Lazarus have anything to do with rising from the dead? The only thing he did was heard the call, right? And even he didn't have ears to hear. God gave him those ears to hear. And he sent the call. He opened his heart and he opened his ears to hear the call. And then out of the power of God, Lazarus rose from the dead. And Paul says here, you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Not only were you dead, but you were living in a worldly way that is cursed, that is condemned, that is headed for eternal destruction. You, this, is the, this is the lifestyle that every single one of us fell in. We were dead in our sins. We were completely severed from God. But God, who is rich in mercy, He's rich in grace, He's rich in love, He chose you. You remember from Ephesians chapter 1? He redeemed you. He adopted you, He sanctified you, He sealed you with His Holy Spirit. And did you have anything to do with that? How much did you have to do with your first birth? Those of you that have been born from your mother's womb, how much did you have to do with that? 
you have as much to do with your new birth as you did with your first birth. You heard the call of God. You heard the word of God and he gave you ears to hear it. And he even gave you faith to believe it. I love the way the Apostle Paul put this. He said, um, I'm not worthy to be an apostle. He said, I am the least worthy to be an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But you remember what he said next? But by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God. And then he goes on to say, and not only that, but I worked even harder than the rest of the apostles. And then he says something else. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Even the work that I do, I can't take credit for. Even the work I'm doing is just the, the work that he's doing to complete the faith that he gave me in me. And so at the end of the day, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7, I'm not ever going to be able to stand before God and say, well, God knew that I was going to do this, and God knew that I was going to do this, and God knew that I was going to be faithful, and that's why God gave me ears to hear, and that's why God gave me a heart to believe. Wrong. The only thing you're going to be able to say is, look, all creation, will y'all please look at the immeasurable riches of his kindness, of his grace in his kindness that he showed toward me, a dead, completely severed from God sinner. And all the riches of his grace will be magnified and glorified, and that is your role. You are the trophy in heaven. Because you are the evidence that God's grace is unlike anything that you have ever experienced or anything that all of creation has ever seen. Who is this God that saves people like me? Can I get an amen on that? So, therefore, in light of all this, here's what I want you to do. Therefore, remember, remember who you were. Remember where you came from and remember how you got there lest you start acting like the first chosen group or so-called chosen group. See, here's what you need to understand. The Jews or Abraham, beginning with Abraham, were selected and chosen by God. There's no disputing that. Deuteronomy chapter 14 verse 2 says this, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Can't dispute it. God chose Abraham. Why God chose Abraham? It wasn't because of Abraham. God gave him ears to hear. God gave him a heart to believe. And so he chose the Jews in this right here. But here's the thing that happened. The Jews thought that God chose them to be an end of his grace in themselves. But God never chose Israel to just pour out his blessing and then it stopped with Israel. The promise that God made Abraham, you may remember, is I'm going to give you a great land, I'm going to make your name great, I'm going to bless you, you're going to be a blessing, and through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. In other words, you're not the end of my blessing, you are the channel or the conduit that my blessing is going to run through so that the world can see my grace. Because remember, Abraham, you didn't deserve it, but the world's going to see my grace through you. The truth of the matter is, when God found Abraham, you know what he was doing? Was he worshiping God? He was an idol worshiper. That's who Abraham was when God found him. 
He was a dead sinner, and yet God called him. And so one of the things that we have got to make sure we understand is that God never chose us, just like he never chose Israel, to be a bucket. He chose us to be a conduit or channel. <clears throat> John MacArthur says this. He said, God wanted them not to be an end, but to be the means to God's end. And God's heart hasn't changed. Jesus, when he gave his great commission, he said to the new chosen or to the chosen, he said, go unto what? All the world and preach the gospel. In other words, you are the means that I'm going to use to share my grace with all of the world. He is wanting to the world to see his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness, and he wanted Israel to do this for him. So here's what God did. Listen closely. God made them very different. God made Israel very different from all the rest of the world, and he did it because he wanted the world to see their difference. You think about it. He wanted to keep them separated from all the ways of the world. It never was that God didn't mean for them to be involved with other people, but they were to live this way and walk this way and talk this way so that all the rest of the world would look and say, why are they like this and we're like this? And he wanted the world to look and say, who has a God like Israel? Who has a God like, like Nick's God? Why does Nick walk the way that he walks? Why does he talk the way that he talks? Why does he live the way that he lives? Who is his God? And that's exactly what God meant to do whenever he gave grace. So the Jews were called to be different, to make the world see the difference. They were called to be separated from all the worldly difference. They had strict clothing laws. They had diet laws. They had marriage laws. They had worship laws, festival laws, customs laws. You go on and on. They had laws that made them completely different from all the rest of the world. And the purpose was so that they would be separated from the world, holy unto the Lord, and so that they would show the world the difference that God makes in their lives. However, instead of Israel seeing themselves as conduits of God's blessing, they saw themselves as the only ones that God wanted to bless. And so we are the chosen, and the rest of the world is not chosen. And let me tell you something today. You as a church can do the same thing. You can fall into the same attitude. We are to be different, right? We are to be uh, walking different, talking different. We're supposed to have a different way of thinking and living. We walk in love. We walk in light. We walk in wisdom. We walk in the Spirit. Our conversation is supposed to be totally different from all the rest of the world. Amen? And he did that because he wanted us to be separate from the world, just like he did when he called the Jews. He wanted us to be separate from the world and he wanted us to show the world the difference in the people that God's grace comes to. And if we're not doing that, then it begs the question, are we chosen? Are we saved? You see this example in Jonah. Anybody remember the story of Jonah? God said, Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach repentance to these people and they'll be converted. Remember what Jonah said? Jonah said, I ain't going to Nineveh. I'm getting on a boat and I'm going as far away from this as I can. Remember what happened on the boat? The boat dumped him out. And then he got swallowed up by a big fish, right? And then that fish vomited him out. And then next thing you know, he makes a three-day journey in a day. As He goes all the way over to Nineveh and then he gets there and he preaches like God told him to preach. And what happened? 
Nineveh got saved. But then what did Jonah do? Did Jonah rejoice in it? He pouted. He went outside the city and he literally said this to God, God, I can't stand it. Just kill me. I can't stand it. Just kill me. Excuse me. I don't have a clue what this thing is doing. <laughs> it's talking to me though. Thanks, Ethan. But God, you see this in Jonah. Jonah literally hates every, every other person that's not a Jew in the world to the point that he is a preacher and a prophet of God sent by God and he don't want to see them saved. I'm the end of God's grace. God chose me and that's it. And how many of us can, uh, youth and people listen to me, everybody that works with other unbelievers listen to me very carefully. I understand that because we're different from the world that we shouldn't necessarily like the way other people talk and other people walk and decisions that they make. But listen to me, darkness is not strange to those who live in the dark. And so you're not the end of God's grace, you're the channel that it flows through. And if anything, you need to just walk different, talk different, and love different because God has made you different by His grace and that alone. And if you remember that it had nothing to do with you, and that's what Paul is trying to get across here, if you remember that it was only because of His grace through the faith that He gave you, then you'll never fall into this same issue that the first chosen people fell into. And you will be a channel and not just an end. And so, remember that you were Gentiles. The building blocks, here's your first point. I've only got three of them. <clears throat> the building blocks of this new temple are all the people of faith by grace. And that alone, that's my point. The building blocks of this new people is nothing about what family you were born in, what anything about your person or your physical man. It has nothing to do with it. But it has everything to do with your faith. And it has everything to do with His grace. And so those are the first people. And if you will remember this, and it's not just circumcision. Look what he says in verse 11. He says, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh were called the uncircumcision. This was a derogatory term. You remember what David said to Goliath? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that defies the armies of the living God? That was a derogatory term. That was an insult. And the Jews just hurled insults at everybody else that wasn't chosen. They said, they're the uncircumcision is who they are. And, but here's what Paul wants you to understand. Even though you were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, in other words, even though they had the outward sign of it, there's a many of Christians that have been through this baptismal water just because you had the outward sign don't mean that your heart was ever circumcised. And he said, you are called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, but their circumcision is only made in the flesh by hands. Look at what Paul said in Romans chapter 2, verse 28. He said, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. Verse 29 says, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. The outward sign don't mean anything. It's people of faith and faith alone. And then the outward side just expresses your faith. This building includes all people of faith. Our person has nothing to do with it. Second point, 
comes to verse 12. These building blocks were all hopeless people. Look what he says in verse 12. He, I also want you to remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. You were Christless. You were Messiahless. And not only were you Messiahless, but these Gentiles right here, they didn't even have the hope of the Jews. They didn't even have the prophets telling them that a Messiah was coming. They were completely without Christ, separated from Christ. They were alienated. That word means they had no belonging. Alienated from the commonwealth. That means to have rights like a citizen has. So they had no belonging to the rights of the citizens of Israel or the kingdom of God. And because of that, they were strangers. You know what it means to be a stranger? Unfamiliar with. You don't know them. They're strangers. He says, and because of that, you were unfamiliar and you did not know the covenants of God's promise. And because of that, you had no hope because you were without God in this world. Guys, this building is made out of the very people that you look at in your works and in your schools and go, I can't believe they talk the way they talk. I can't believe they do the things they do. I can't believe they act the way. And, and listen, I'm right there with you. I've been there. I've been there. I've been the bucket. I've been the ones that have, and they're the ones that have not, Right? And what Paul is trying to tell us is that we better remember that the only reason we have is because we were hopeless people that God gave faith to. That's it. And our job is to live in such a way that maybe God will show them His grace through us. And just maybe those hopeless dead sinners God will give life to the same way that He gave us to. Y'all get this? So that's the second point. These building blocks were all hopeless people. The third point, these building blocks are diverse blocks. I wished I had about 10 more weeks to preach on this. These building blocks are diverse blocks. You know, racism is nothing new. And let me tell you something. I know when we see, when we talk about racism, most of the time in America, our minds go to a black and white thing. Let me explain something to you this morning. Racism is not just a black and white thing. Racism exists from any kind of difference that people have. If there's a difference, don't, don't we wish everybody was just like us? Man, if, the, if everybody was just like me, this world would be a good place to live. Or at least I feel that way, right? Right? Yeah, and my wife feels that way, see? <laughs> And so it's nothing new. It exists between people of differences of all kinds. And here we see it between the Jews who were God's chosen people and the Gentiles who were the rest of the world. Didn't matter what color they were. Didn't matter what language they spoke. It was just Jew, either the haves or the have-nots. And that's it. So let's read verse 13 through 19. We'll go through it quickly. It says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, these were the Gentiles, have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then verse 14, he says, For he himself is our peace, and he has made us both one. Remember, the Jews called them the uncircumcision, and then they weren't even circumcised themselves. They were just called the circumcision because they had an outward sign in the flesh. And, it, and the Apostle Paul says, Listen, he's made you both one. He's made you all one and He's broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances 
that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace. He had to tear down the very thing that God gave, not so that we would be proud and uplifted. We have the law, and this is what we do, and this is how we walk. He had to come in and he had to tear that down. He said, that's your problem right there. You used what I gave you to show you that you were dead, and you used that to make you think that you were alive because you followed it. That's not me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Yes. I thought I had done this. the first time in years that has ever happened. Thank you, Lord. But, um, and, and I'm not trying to make you feel bad if that's you, but, you know. <coughs> yeah, you, you are, sir. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Nick said it, not me. <coughs> Listen to this. <coughs> this hatred that existed here was so bad that it was against the law to even aid a Gentile mother who was giving birth to a baby because you'd be responsible for bringing another Gentile into the world. Now you think about that for just a minute. Did you know that in the middle of Israel there's a land called Samaria? Right in the middle of Israel. And if you were a Jew, it was unlawful for your feet to hit that soil. But if it did hit that soil, you, before you entered back into the Holy Land, you had to shake the dust off of your feet. That's biblical. You had to shake the heathen dust off of your feet. And so in order to get from south Israel to north Israel, they would literally go over to the east side of Samaria, to the Jordan River, and they would walk the bank until they got back into the Holy Land of northern Israel, and then if they happened to touch any dirt, they stopped before they crossed over into Israel and they went, let me get this heathen dust off of my feet. They hated the Gentiles. They didn't even want to bring the dirt back in their country. John MacArthur said this, if a Jewish boy or a girl married a Gentile, they held a funeral. If a Jewish boy or a girl married a Gentile, they held a funeral because touching a Gentile in any way physically was the same as death. And did you know that that still happens today in the Jewish Orthodox homes? They hold a funeral if they marry a Gentile. They even felt it was wrong to go into a Gentile home because you'd be eating off Gentile utensils. Uh, Acts chapter 10, verse 28 29. Listen to what, what Peter told Cornelius, who was a Gentile. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. It's unlawful. It was their law. Do you see now why God had to tear down the wall of hostility? He had to condemn the law. He tore it down. He said, It's not unlawful for you to do this. And, but look what God has showed him. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. In other words, Peter said, I'm not supposed to be in this house. I'm not even supposed to be in this land. But let me tell you something. When God showed me this and he called me, I came without any objection. I asked then, why did you send for me? Here I am. Why am I here? I love that. On the other hand, Gentiles also looked at the Jews as slaves. You might remember that they were always trying to take the slaves into captivity, always, or the Jews into captivity. They were always trying to make them their slaves. 
They called them the enemies of the human race because of their differences. The, the world looked at the Jews and the way they walked different and how they condemned the sins of the heathen nations and how they would not walk in these things. And the world looked at them and said, well, look at them. And because of that, they went after them. They didn't like them. And so what do you think if we start living the way God's called us that the world's going to do to us? Think it's going to be any different? I'm not trying to pick on the homosexuality because that's only one of the many sexual immoralities, right? But just for the sake of argument so that everybody's on the same page this morning, the minute we as a church actually start standing against the, the, the gay pride movement, the minute that we actually start saying that, listen, this is not the way of God, this is not God's design, this is not the way that he's created the world, the minute we actually start doing that, what do you think is going to happen? They're going to hate you. The more you stand for the ways of God and the more different you are, the other side of the world is not going to like you. The world is going to hate you. So very deep racism existed between the Jews and the Gentiles. However, Paul teaches us that God's new temple is made out of all types of people of faith. Not color, not race, not, not language, nothing to do with that. Guys, listen to me very closely. I understand we have differences in, in the way that our traditions were raised and the ways that we worship in this or the ways that we do that. But let me tell you, racism has absolutely no place in the church of Jesus Christ. Let me say that one more time to you. Racism has no place. It does not belong. If you remember who you were, it has no place in the church of Jesus Christ. None. I say that to each and every one of you this morning. That's the word of God. Like it or not. And if you don't like it, I ask you to please examine your heart. Because something's missing. Something's missing. And so the blocks of the building here are people that are very diverse. Very diverse. And God means for it to be. You remember in Revelation... Whenever we're all there, you know who's there? Is, is, is it all white people? Is it all black people? Is it all Mexican people? Is it all Indians? No, he said, I looked and I saw a great multitude. He said, and I saw them from every nation. I saw them from every tribe. I saw them from every tongue. There were people that were from every single ethnicity and all of creation. And God had called them to be members of his family, called them to be his new temple. And so finally, let's finish this up. Verse uh, 16, read it with me. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. In other words, whether you were a Gentile, far off from God, or whether you were Jew and actually had the prophecies and the law of God and you thought you were near to God, he came and preached peace to all of you because you were all the same, dead and hopeless without God. And then in verse 18, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. Remember, back in verse 12, he said you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise. 
but now because of the peace that He brings through His cross, because He has tore down any dividing wall of you being any different from the rest of the world other than the difference God calls you to be, because of that, He says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Finish reading with me. Verse 20. You are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Don't let nobody, don't let no idiot tell you that you don't need the Old Testament anymore. Let me say that one more time. Don't let no idiot tell you that you don't need the Old Testament. You are built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. That's new and old. And you're built on that foundation. The only thing the new has done is revealed the old. That's it. Keep reading. Christ himself is the chief cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Folks, we are the new temple of God. We are a people that are being built into this temple. We are a people of faith in Jesus Christ by the grace of God alone. We were dead, hopeless sinners, completely severed from God. But now in Christ, He has made us all to be joined together and growing together into a new dwelling place from God. This is people from every tongue, from every nation, and every tribe. And this happens through the teachings of Jesus Christ that have been left by the apostles and the prophets. And we are being built together into a dwelling place for God in the Spirit. You cannot forget. Therefore, remember. You hear Paul? Don't hear me. You hear Paul? Church, therefore, remember. Remember that at one time you were Gentiles, unbelievers, without any hope in this world. But by His grace, you have been saved. And you are not an end to this grace. You are nothing more than a channel that this grace flows through so the rest of the world can see the difference in you. And they can see God dwelling in you. And they can see God worship in you. And they can see God praised in you. Used to, you had to go to the temple to see this. Guess what? You are the temple. You are the temple by His grace. Don't you go to school and start looking down on everybody else thinking I'm the one that has and they're the ones that have not. Don't you go to work thinking that I'm the one that has and they're the have not. You go thinking this right here, by the grace of God I'm saved. And I'm not even worthy to be called a Christian, but by the grace of God I am what I am. And I work hard serving and worshiping Him, yet not I, but the grace of God in me. And because of that I want you to see my difference. I want you to see my separation from the worldly ways, but it ain't because I want to put myself up on some pedestal like I'm somebody that I'm not. I want you to see the grace of God that's in me. Can I get another amen? amen.